we are going to continue on from last week. At least we're going to try to because I tell you, Phil came in and he asked me how I was feeling. I said, well, I had some bad, better days. <laughs> but you know what? Glory to God. I'm here. I'm standing. You know, I exchanged text messages with Mother Dolores earlier today. And, uh, you know, she said she was going through her little battle as well. And I say, you know what? Thank God for his grace and his mercy, you know. Um, so even the days where we may not feel like it, guess what? We got to keep pressing on. Amen. We got we got to keep pressing on. You know, some things, some days it could be physical. Some days it's going to be spiritual. Right. But we got to press on before the Lord. Right. Because our bodies are just human flesh. Right. So until we get our glorified bodies, right, <laughs> there going to be some days, that, you know, there's some days that, you know, we may have service. I'm like, I don't want to come, you know, but I have to come. So <laughs> but I'm just being honest, you know, some days I'm like, oh, I just want to stay at home and stay in the bed. And uh, I try I should tell you, I tried to lay down a little bit to get a nap, but it didn't work. <laughs> but amen. Glory to God. So. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. He's our strength. So, you know, we, we talked about last week. Um, we came from Acts chapter 9, and, and we'll go there, but we're not going to read all of it. we we'll just probably read about one verse. Um, but um, we gave a summary last week from uh, Acts chapter 6 through 8, and Acts chapter 9 is obviously Saul's conversion, which is Paul. All right. And um, let's turn to um, Acts 9 real quick. And looking down at, uh, well, let's see. Actually, we'll read from verse 1 to verse 6. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him in the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. So, you know, we, we talked about how Saul and everybody else there, they heard uh, a voice. And um, but only Saul heard what, what was being said because it was obviously being spoken to him. Right. And they all saw the light. And we have to understand that. I talked about because the title of the message last week and still this week is, uh, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to ask how many people ask that every day this week, <laughs> you know, because I had to remind myself of that. that. Lord, what do you want me to do? Because, you know, the Lord, we, we get taught from young and sometimes we, we, we're small to, uh, to be the best that we can be. Right. And what is the old army saying? Um, be what you can be, something like that. Yeah, be all that, thank you. Be all that you can be, right? And we're all familiar with Nike, right? Um, and we're familiar with the slogan, just do it, right? So, 
you know, I don't know if y'all know that that slogan actually came from um, a man named Dan Whedon who worked for an advertising company, right? And then um, he came up with the slogan and it, it just took off. And, and, you know, initially they were like, well, you know, we don't need to come up with another slogan or anything like that. But he ended up coming with a slogan and like I said, it took off. And then I, I reflected back on it it popped in my spirit so I started looking at the old commercials the old Nike commercials and what I saw was it was all about you and I'm sure that's not what he was trying to, to portray but the commercial itself was just all about them basically they were they would have Michael Jordan on there or another athlete and they gave us the impression that we can be just like those athletes if we worked hard right but they don't tell you, you still got to be born with some natural talent. <laughs> so no matter how many lessons you pay for or anything like that, you're not going to be Michael Jordan if you don't have no natural talent. It, that, that's just the way it has to be. <laughs> so needless to say, the, um, he actually got that slogan from a death row inmate that was actually about to be executed. And he just he just changed the words up because um, the person was about to be executed and he was just saying, come on, let's get it over with. But he took that and switched it up to just do it. But like I said, what that slogan did for years, it basically and we have messages that preached about it in church. But long story short, it had. uh you just go and it was about you working hard, you trying to be the best athlete that you can be. <laughs> and if nobody else believed in you, then they were considered to be non-believers. Right. That, that, that's a human way of, of looking at things. Right. But truth be told, we're not supposed to believe in man, per se, but we're supposed to believe in God. That's right. Right. So it, it flipped it to instead of us believing in God. Now we believe in man. And then if nobody believed in me, forget everybody else. I'm going to just continue to do me. And what we try to do is this. We, we try to look sometimes as Christians and as people in general, we try to look for the easy way out. We try to look for what's, the, again, the path of least resistance. What is convenient for us? So what, what does convenient mean? It means uh, a state of proceeding with something with little effort or difficulty. We don't like difficulty, especially when it comes to the body of Christ. And that's what was the danger with some of the messages that was being taught in churches, right? Because it was basically the prosperity movement. Because guess what? If I'm in need of finances, I just sow a little, right? If I'm in need of a house, I just ask God for it and house is going to miraculously appear, right? <laughs> so we know that. Sometimes, again, we, we're getting taught to what we want, and it's never about what God wants. And in, in order for us to say, hey, God, what, what do you want us to do? We have to be quiet sometimes. We have to listen. And the, and the good thing about God is he speaks to us in different ways, right? So let, let's flip over to Acts chapter 10 real quick. And this is uh, Cornelius. And we'll read a couple of verses from uh, verse one and then we'll uh, jump down to Peter's. So verse one in Acts chapter 10, there was a certain man in, in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, 
of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called, called two of his household servants and devout soldier from among those who waited on him continuously. So now we read this. We're familiar with it. But here it is. An angel of the Lord coming to speak to Cornelius. So the Lord can speak to you through an angel. He can speak to you personally like he did Saul. Right. So now let's go down to. We'll start at verse 9. All right. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. Verse 12. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. So we see here, that the Lord is speaking to Peter in a trance, otherwise known as a vision. All right. Uh, verse 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. See, this now is the Holy Spirit speaking to Peter. But he's saying, go, doubting nothing. Right. So sometimes when the Lord speaks to us, we begin to doubt. We, we you know, we, we'll get happy initially. But as time goes on, we may begin to doubt. Right. So like I mentioned last week. Saul could have doubted, but he didn't. Saul could have went back to Jerusalem, but he didn't. Right? So sometimes with us, you know, God just wants us, and it's, and it's interesting because I ain't even playing the songs that way, but like I said, the second song I played said, I wrote it down back there while they were playing, not my will, but yours be done. Right? So that goes back to the Lord. What do you want me to do? See, and, and we have to ask him that, and now, if we're going to ask him that, we're going to have to do what he wants us to do. And sometimes it may not make sense. A lot of times it's not going to happen right away. And I talked about last week how I don't like puzzles, right? Because we want, it, we want the end to come right then and there, right? But that's not how God works, right? Sometimes he does work that way. We see examples of that in the Bible. Sometimes he does work that way. But sometimes he doesn't. 
And the reason why he doesn't is he wants us to trust him. So the last song says, I will trust in the Lord. Right. So he wants us to trust him. All right. So now let's go to Genesis chapter 22. See, God is all about testing. God will continually test us. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and this will probably lead into eventually us talking about faith. But he's going to test us. He's going to try us. He's going to prove us. Right. And, you know, when we first get saved, everything is good. You know, within everybody's different within the first couple of days, first couple of weeks, first couple of months. We're like babies. Right. So so God is just picking us up, carrying us, treating us like babies. Right. So it's almost like I, that's why I always say if you want to pray, answer, go to a new believer and have them pray for you. Right. Because God is going to work. God, God is going to work because God is going to show them that we can trust them. But eventually now the training wheels have to come off. Right. And then now as we mature, we continue to mature. Guess what? Now we have to wait longer and longer sometimes. And longer, sometimes it could be years, right? All right, so here we have uh, Abraham who's being, who's going to sacrifice Isaac, right? And now let me preface this, okay? <laughs> so, since this is, a, this is a foreshadowing of Christ's sacrifice, right? So once Christ has become the final sacrifice, guess what? God's not speaking to nobody like this no more, Okay? Because there are still some people that think that, oh, God, you know, some mothers have done things to their kids and say, God, is a, but no, God's not speaking that way because there's no more sacrifice. Right. Even even for the Jews, there's no more sacrifice. So I don't want nobody coming back. Say, well, the son said no. All right. <laughs> All right. Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse one. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. So he's testing him. He, he's, he's te now, remember, Abraham is the father of faith, right? He's testing him. So if he's testing Abraham, and think about this. Up until this time, Abraham has had conversations with the Lord. He's had visitations. He has interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah with the Lord. He has experienced miracles already. But now God is testing him again right so verse 1 again now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him Abraham and he said here I am then he said then he said take now your son this is the promised seed remember Sarah was barren they were old Abraham and Sarah was old right Sarah couldn't have kids so now they 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 try to help the Lord out right with Ishmael right but God said no, right? Because he had a promised seed for them. And then when the Lord came to visit them, right before he uh, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, guess what? He was talking to them. Sarah heard and Sarah laughed. Why? Because she said, I'm old, right? I can't have kids, right? All right. So, but now he's telling him, take now your son. Watch this. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. So all he's telling him is go to the land of Moriah and I will tell you the rest. Either on the journey or when you get there. But 
This is what the young generation, young kids today will say. This is gaslighting. So this is God gaslighting Abraham when he says, take now your son, your only son. Right. So he's letting him know this is your only son. So I want you to go and take him. All right. So Abraham, I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him. All right. Verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had what told him. Right. So notice he doesn't say the Bible doesn't tell us Abraham told Sarah because if Abraham told Sarah. You think that we going anywhere? No, no. Right. No. He doesn't even tell, tell the two young men that are with him, right? Because now they're going to think he's crazy and they're probably going to try to stop him. And guess who else he doesn't tell? Isaac, right? All right. Verse four. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Verse six. Now he's speaking prophetically. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on who? Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. All right, so let's start right there. Remember, we are verse 7. He gave the wood, laid the wood on who? Isaac, right? So a lot of times we see on TV or cartoons, Isaac is some little baby, right? He's some little baby and Abraham's going to pick up a knife. And say, no, no, no. You think you can give baby wood to carry? No, no. So the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how old Isaac was. But judging by the math from the other chapters, we could tell he's anywhere from four to five to thirty six to thirty seven. But more than likely, he was probably a teenager, probably around 16, 17 years old, believe it or not. Why? Because he's carrying the wood. Even at seven, eight, you're probably not going to think about this. He's giving him the heavier items to carry. All Abraham is carrying is the fire and the knife. He's giving the wood to Isaac. So. Isaac is not some young baby being sacrificed. And that's what we would tell our kids when we're in church and in, in, in was it Sunday school and things like that. We would teach you that Isaac was some little baby, but no. He was a teenager. Alright, verse 7. As soon as I find verse 7. Alright, there we go. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look. The fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. So now, this is Abraham speaking prophetically again. But notice Isaac, he's asking him, Father, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Now think about this. What would make Isaac say that? Why? Because he observed his father, Abraham, make sacrifices to the Lord previously. So he understood that something had to be sacrificed. So Isaac wasn't dumb. Isaac was smart. And again, he had to be old enough to understand this concept. All right, let's keep going. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built what? An altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, it doesn't say, remember, Isaac's a teenager. It doesn't say here Isaac is fighting. No. He's obeying. He's obeying his father. Right? So there's no dysfunction here. Right? Because he observed his father. He's trusting his father in this. 
He's not arguing because I can tell you if my dad tried to do that to me, I'm fighting. (laughs) I'm not going to just sit there. Right? But Isaac is putting his trust in his father Abraham in this because there's no dysfunction. Alright? Verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So, we know, we like to call God that, you know, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, right? But here, Abraham was willing to give up the best thing he could, right? He was willing to give up his son. He wasn't willing to hold on to it. But he believed, God, remember, God had spoke to him and said, this is the seed whom all nations will be blessed, will come through Isaac, right? So he had to have faith to believe that, hey, God is going to raise him up. If God's telling me to slay him, but God promised, God's going to raise him up. That requires trust, right? How many of us are going to have that trust? See, we, we, we think we have that trust, right? Because that type of trust doesn't come overnight. And we're going to see here in a minute that that type of trust doesn't come all the time. But what that was right there, what Abraham was doing with Isaac was a foreshadowing of Christ coming. Right. Because why? Because Abraham gave up his only son. God, the father, sent his only begotten son to us. Right. Isaac had to carry the wood. What did Jesus have to carry to Calvary? To cross that was made out of wood. Right? Abraham believed what? That God was going to raise Isaac back up. God the Father knew he was going to raise Jesus back up. Right? So all that, anything from Genesis 3 to 15 all the way through the Old Testament, all that is a foreshadowing of Christ's coming. Right? And there's a lot more I can say, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to go there. Alright, so we have to get to the point where Abraham was, right? Where we're not holding on to things. See, we got to ask ourselves, what are we holding on to that we're not turning over to God? We think we, we may freely give everything to God, but there's something that we may be holding on to, right? It could be a family member. That's where he was testing him at, with his son, right? It could be fear, anxiety, worry, whatever it is. It could be our job. See, because nowadays what we do is what? If we don't like something, eh, we just leave it, right? We don't like a church, I'll leave it. We don't like our job, what do we do? We leave it, right? Because the grass is greener somewhere else, right? We don't like how we're treated in a particular store, we just go to another store, right? That's, that's what we've come to because everything is about pleasing us. But we got to ask ourselves, what does God want us to do? See, sometimes God is going to require things from us that's going to stretch us, <laughs> that's going to test us. And guess what? It's not going to make sense to other people, right? Because that's why Abraham, see, Abra- if Abraham told anybody else what was going to happen, they would have talked him out of it. 
And sometimes we make the mistake of telling other people what's going to happen or what the Lord's trying to do to us or what he may be speaking. And then guess what? That same brother and sister in Christ, the believer, I'm not talking about an unbeliever, the believer will start talking doubt. And then same way if, some, if Abraham would have told one of his servants that was walking with him, they would have tried to talk him out. And then the same way they would talk, talk us out of things, right? So, but like I said, Abraham didn't get there overnight. We know him as the father of faith, but it took him some years to get there, right? So we can't beat ourselves up if we're not fully there, okay? So now let's go to Genesis 11. And see, this is where, when we get to Genesis 11, this is where we have to understand the scriptures and understand out of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, right? So now, we have to go to other scriptures when we, once we read this. See, because we're all familiar that God called Abraham, what? Out of Ur, out of Chaldea, right? All right, so uh, let's look at, hold on. I said 11, correct? Yes. Okay. All right, I'll start with uh, verse 27. This is a genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. Verse 30. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took his son Abram, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarah, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So, we see in Ur of Chaldeans, this is the, where the Babylonians came from, Nebuchadnezzar and all that. So they're all descendants of Abraham. All right? So, what we see here is, now, just look on the surface of verse 31. It's going to say, Terah, which is Abram's father, took his son Abram. Right? But the call came to Abraham. Well, how do we know that? Y'all keep your finger in Genesis. Let's go to uh, Acts Chapter 7. <laughs> Acts chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 2. So this is Stephen speaking. Acts chapter 2, excuse me, 7, sorry. I'll read it at verse 1. I'll start at verse 1 since we did. <laughs> All right. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. So now, remember, he went from Ur to Haran. So, he's saying, look, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. In Mesopotamia, before he went down to Haran. Alright, verse 3. And said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. 
Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. All right, so let's go back to Genesis. 11. All right, uh, we're going to go to 12, actually. So, we see that 11.31 tells us, it says this, that Abraham's, Abram's father took, took Abram and them, but it was really, they were leaving because the word of the Lord came to Abram, right? So, we see he, that God basically told them, hey, to go to Canaan. Abram didn't go to Canaan. Abram stopped in Haran, Okay. Abram stopped in Haran, more likely probably because of his dad. See, Abraham, he didn't listen right away. He, he went halfway. Actually, not even halfway. He obeyed halfway. God told him to leave. He left, but he stopped. He didn't go to where God told him to do. We have to understand half obedience is still disobedience when it comes to God. That's right. And see, sometimes what we try to do is we try to, go halfway with God and we're like, God, I'm doing this, I'm here, I'm there. And then we want him to bless us and we want him to move us to the next level and we're wondering why it's delayed. It's delayed because we're not being obedient. Right? And sometimes he may make us wait. Right? Alright, so verse 12. I'm sorry, chapter 12. Verse 1. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse. I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So now God is repeating himself. Now we know Abram's father has died. He's repeating himself again. Why? Because he didn't listen. So we know at least Abram stayed there until for in Iran for about five years. Right? So he was disobedient to the Lord's call upon him for five years. But guess what? God didn't cast him away. He didn't cast him away. See, at this point in time, now if we think back to Genesis 23, we have 22, excuse me, we understand why God was testing him. Because Abram had to work his way up to this right he had to work his way up to this and, and, and here's, here's the thing in the Old Testament names mean a lot right names mean a lot so Terah which was um, Abram's dad's name actually means delay it means delay right Haran which is where they were dwelling at for those five years actually means barren unproductive right so he was unproductive because he wasn't where God wanted him to be See, Christians today will find themselves being unproductive because we're not where God wants us to be, right? We try to figure it out. We try to help them out. And God's saying, no, let me do the work. See, we see even with Saul, we see with Peter, he says, go, don't doubt nothing. We even see with Abraham when he was telling him to go sacrifice Isaac. These are things that 
they were obedient to. They were listening to. This is where we have to listen to God and obey him in every area. And then even if we don't hear him, we got to stay still. We got to stay still. Right. And we got to figure out, well, is he not talking because we're not where we're supposed to be? Or is he not talking because he wants us to wait and mature? Right. And he may very well be talking, but we're not listening because we're looking for him to talk one way. Right. So we got people. You ever heard somebody say this? Some of us may say it because I've been guilty of it. Oh, I know the voice of the Lord. You're not going to tell me. I know the voice of the Lord. All right. That's pride. All right. That, that's our flesh rising up. Because usually when I say that's my flesh rising up, I'm getting irritated when I say that. Right. Just being honest. Right? <laughs> or we may say, hey, I got to I got to find a prophet or a prophetess to get a word. All right. But God is not man. God is not bound. Let's go to Ephesians chapter three. See, what we have to understand is God can speak in so many different ways. And, and if we're looking for him to speak one or two ways, we're going to miss it. We're, we're going to miss it. Ephesians chapter 3. Start at uh, verse 8. <clears throat> All right. Ephesians chapter 3. All right. We'll go probably to verse 12. All right. Verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. So Paul Try to figure out God's greatness. Try to figure it out. But then he realized, hey, God's greatness is not just a lake, but it is a whole ocean. It's a whole ocean. All right. So let's go to verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, we'll come back to that, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. All right, so let's go back up to verse 10. The manifold wisdom of God. So that word manifold, actually, it's a Greek word. Hopefully I can pronounce this correctly. Polokakios. Polokakios. That word actually means much variegated, multifarious. Right? Now I know y'all don't know what that means. Some of y'all probably shaking your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all don't know what that means because I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> uh, so, variegated actually means having discrete markings of different colors. In other words, it's marked with great variety. That means God doesn't speak, doesn't move, doesn't act just in one way. Right? So, reason why many Christians miss God is because, again, we're looking for him one or two ways, right? So, I have jotted some things down on how God may speak to us. And this is not all of them. This is just some right here. God will speak to us through visions. He will speak to us through the preached and the taught word. He will speak to us through dreams, prophecies, circumstances, right? We can find out certain circumstances, and God's trying to speak to us through those circumstances 
But because we're complaining while we're in the midst of those circumstances, we're going to miss it. Amen. Right? And then now that's going to force us to be in those circumstances even longer. Right? He'll speak to us through wise counsel. He'll speak to us through our, door, uh, our thoughts. Our thoughts. Right? He'll speak to us through our uh, thoughts. He'll speak to us through nature. Romans chapter 1 tells us that. He'll speak through a burning bush. Right? He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. Right? He'll speak to us through animals. Right? He'll speak to us audibly like he did Saul. Right? He can also speak to us through scripture and many other ways. But we miss it because we're looking for him in one or two particular ways. But God is not bound by human thinking or human reasoning. And God's trying to speak to us. He's trying to mature us in different ways, but we, we want to stay plain, right? God wants us to be a wide variety, a wide variety of colors, right? We all have different gifts and different talents. He wants us to utilize those things, right? And the thing about it is we all just don't have one gift or one talent because God has blessed us. But we don't fully understand or fully know the things that we may have. Some of us haven't even tapped into those things. Right? But he's speaking to us. And guess what? Just like Abraham had to wait. Because when he left Haran, he was 75 years old. Isaac didn't come until he was 100. So that's 25 years he had to wait. Same thing with David. The word was spoken to him about being a king. But he had to wait years. I think it's 14, 15 years. Going off the cuff. 14, 15 years that he had to wait to be a king. Right? Sometimes God will speak. We want it to happen right now. Whether it's even having a new job, whether it's having a family. And we, we grow impatient because God doesn't grow impatient like that. He's trying to bless us, get stuff to us, but we like a little spoiled kid. We want to grab it right now. Right? We want to grab it right now. We want to take it. But sometimes what God has for us is going to take time, right? And during that time while we're growing, guess what? He's maturing us, right? He, just like with Abraham, you know what I mean? Well, I don't know off the hand, but he had quite a few visitations, Abraham did, before God sent him to Mount Moriah, right? We have to learn to trust God in every area of our life. We have things that we're holding on to that we haven't given to God. See, we say as Christians all the time, we want the, the miracles from Acts. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But are we willing to give ourselves and let ourselves go before God and open ourselves up like a book? See, we, when we're alone, we say I open myself up like a book. But then when we get before people, we close it up. We don't want nobody to see anything, right? But yeah, guess what? We all have shortcomings, right? We all have shortcomings, but for some reason, we come into the church and we think, well, I can't reveal this. I can't reveal that. This is why we're here. Why? Because I may have shortcomings that Marie have overcome. So she can help me in that. Amen. Right? Marie has shortcomings that Joan probably overcame. And she can help her with that. Right? But as long as we stay quiet. And see, this again, God's speaking. Right? He's working through his vessels. Right? Because right. we're the temple. Amen. Right? But, you know, we, we say that, but do we truly believe that we're the temple? Because if we're the temple, there's certain places, certain things we won't do. 
Right? But we have Christians doing all sorts of things. Right? Ooh, we're not going to go there. <laughs> we're not going to go there. <laughs> no, we're not going to go there. <laughs> but, we, you know, we, we have to learn to trust God to the point where Abraham became. Right? We don't get that way overnight. That, that, that's the whole thing, what we have to understand. We don't get that way overnight. But this is, this is the things that we should be keeping in journals. The things that God has brought us through. The things, the miracles that God has performed in our lives. Those are things we should keep track of, right? What we do is we keep track of things that we did for the, for, for, for the, for the Lord, right? Not what God has done for us, right? So throughout, even when I got the calling, that happened years ago. I've said that before. Right? And that happened, I was saved less than a year. And I, I remember to the day, I don't remember the specific date, but I remember where I was. I was in my car going to work in the, in, in the parking spot because I had to get to work early in order to get a good spot. Sitting in my car, and I would get there early and I read my Bible. And the Lord was just speaking to me then in a voice. I was reading Second uh, Timothy. And I was reading a particular passage. He said, read it again. I read it again. Read it again. I read it again. He said, read it again. I read it again. He said, read it out loud. I read it out loud. He said, that's what I'm calling you to. Right? Now, I had to wait. I had to wait. And, and guess what? I tried to help him out. I tried to help him out. Why? Because the church we were attending at the time was having a ministers and training class. I said, okay, I'm going to go to that. And I went the first week, and then the second week I had to go out to see. And I said, all right, the pastor going to work with me. He didn't work with me. He didn't work with me. He said, oh, you're getting on the next one. Well, guess what? There wasn't a the next one. <laughs> Not while I was there. There wasn't a the next one. Right? But it was all part of God's plan. God didn't want me to go that route. Right? See, if I would have went that route and continually, and see, the thing about it is, I kept trying to help her. I said, I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. And it was always a roadblock. Always a roadblock. Why? Because he didn't want me to do that. So it was like almost like Sarah giving Hagar to Abraham. See, I was trying to help him. And but fortunately, he he blocked me. He kept blocking me. But what that did was that cost me many days of frustration, many days of irritation, many days of complaining. I can't believe the pastor didn't let me do it. But it wasn't the pastor. It was God. It was God. See, because he wanted me to wait. He wanted me to marinate. He wanted me. See, because where others were going to, to a, a, a specific direction, he was taking me in a different direction. Right? I'll be honest. I was like, I know God didn't call them. And they got to be in the class. I'm like, they are messed up. I see them on the base. They, I said, how is the pastor not see through this? Right? Yeah. But that was me because I was irritated. I was irritated. Right? And guess what? I still didn't like school. Right? Marsh could attest to that. You know, I made books up there against the wall. I'm like, why do I got to learn this stuff? I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This is not what I want to learn. <laughs> but it, 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 God had a plan. And see, what that did was it brought me through to another level of maturity. Once I settled in, and stop trying to resist him. Right? And we have to learn to stop resisting the Lord. Because we can all be guilty of it. Now I guarantee we all have been guilty of it. 
right? And we have to stop resisting Him and learn to trust Him, right? So many people, so many, not people, so many Christians are resisting the Lord left and right, right? And, and this is why this goes back to so many Christians say, hey, I'm called to do this. I'm called to do this. No, God didn't call you. Just wait, right? Just because somebody else is doing something doesn't mean God calls you to that, right? Just because somebody else is going to this school and they're paying a certain amount of money to get this title, that's not God. That's not God anywhere, right? But we have to figure out what God wants us to do. And sometimes God may take some of us on a longer road, right? But you know what? He'll take us on that longer road because he knows we can handle it, right? So that's one thing me and Mother Dolores uh, exchanging back and forth, saying, you know, we go through what we go through now because I say, I told her, I think I texted her. Hold on. I want to tell you exactly what I texted her. I want if I could find it. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I said, I look at it as a, I'm a chosen vessel. Right? I look at it as I'm a chosen vessel. Right? Because, so what? Because even when I'm going through, guess what? He's giving me the strength to press on and to go forward. Right? Even tonight. Because I, I really did not physically feel like I, right now I feel fine. Right? But before, I, I really didn't. But it's the grace of God. It, it's nothing Rasan is doing. It is the grace of God that he just laid upon me. Right? So sometimes when we go through, we struggle. And we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Right? Because a lot of times we think, oh, God's calling me. God told me to do that. And we think we're going to have an easy path. Nope. Resistance is going to happen. And God's going to allow it to happen, right? Think back to Job. And see, the thing about it is we thinking, oh, the devil's trying to pick on me. No, it's going to be like Job. God said, have you considered my servant, Job? Have you considered my servant, Phil? Have you considered my servant, Maria? Right? And he doesn't want us to disappoint. <laughs> right? Because if we're not careful, we could disappoint. And he could be up there, that big dummy, I, why did they just do what I told them to do? Right? And see, the devil would be like, see, I told you, I told you. Why? Because he's accused of bread. But he loves us anyway. He loves us anyway, right? So just like with Abraham, he gives us another chance, right? He gives us another chance. Amen. So we'll, <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll stop right there. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God.